this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Here we are with our guest, Dwight Carter. Thank you for being here, Dwight. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This episode, we are focused on student engagement in a post-vaccinated world, and we could not think of anyone better to have this conversation with than with you, Dwight, based on all that you've done, what you're about, and how you lead. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Dwight? Thanks, Joe. Yes, our guest for this episode is Dwight Carter. Dwight is a nationally recognized school leader from Central Ohio and has been an educator for 27 years. Because of his collaborative and innovative leadership in 2010, he was inducted into the Johnson's Renaissance Educator Hall of Fame. He was also named the 2013 National Association of Secondary School Principals Digital Principal of the Year, the 2014 Academy of Arts and Science Education High School Principal of the Year, the 2015 Ohio Alliance of Black School Educators Principal of the Year, then 2021 Columbus Afrocentric Early College Sankrofa Emerging Leader Award winner. He's currently the Director of Student Support Systems for the Eastland Fairfield Career and Technical School District. Joe's going to love that. He's the co-author of three books, What's in Your Space, Five Steps to Better School and Classroom Design, published by Corwin in 2015, Leading Schools in Disruptive Times, How to Survive Hyperchange, published in 2017, and obviously the second edition of Leading Schools in Disruptive Times, published in 2021. If you write a book about disruption, you got to rewrite it after a pandemic. You can't help yourself. All right, Dwight. We want to dive into this conversation about our students' engagement and specifically re-engagement, something that you write about heavily in the book. In light of the past 18 months, things have changed and they're going to continue to change. Your focus is about excelling as a leader in these disruptive times, and it's such an important topic now more than ever. But you know, leadership and education has always been disruptive. It's just you know the hyper change part of the title is significant. Your work speaks to these concepts and, and centers on student engagement. So here's our first question. What's the key consideration for educational leaders and teachers as they prepare for the new school year with a focus on engaging and re-engaging our students in a classroom after such a disruptive period? Yeah, um, you know, we keep using the phrase um, unprecedented times and that's that's true, but I think we have to move past that and understand that uh, unprecedented times take, you know, immediate, but also long-term action. And so now we have to be very focused on so solutions rather than massaging the past 18 months. And so a part of, and what students need, students need consistency, um, they need safety. And safety, safety is broad. You know, if you go back to you know, traditional school thought safety is, is the physical environment safe? Is my kid 
are my students physically safe? Now that's so broad. Are they safe emotionally? Are they safe mentally? Um, are they safe to express themselves? Are they safe in terms of having a, that one person to go to that, that can help them get through the day? So I think one of the key factors that educators have to focus on now is reestablishing, reengaging re, uh, the positive relationships with students so that they can be truly focused on being a part of the school culture and school climate and school community. And we have to have a not a hyper focus on, on mental health and wellness, but it has to be a, a major priority. Um, and I think just in the, the it, our own personal experiences of you know the last 18, 24 months, we know mental health is important. I think is vitally important for our students. And I think it's been compounded by the pandemic. I don't think it's been created by the pandemic. And by that, I mean, students are exposed to so much information now. There's so much pressure to excel. And I think, um, and we talk about this in the book, uh, the way school is going about is being disrupted and ch is changing and our students are sometimes asking for those changes to take place. So here's an example. Um, while some students did not excel in the on, on, on at home learning environment, the virtual world, some students failed miserably. On the other hand, some excelled. They, they did extremely well because they had some control, some autonomy over their schedule. They, had, they were able to adjust and transform how they learn through the online learning platforms. I'm curious to know how many school districts across our country are gonna make that a permanent part of, an, of their pathways to success who didn't already have an online learning platform. And so and I think our, our students are gonna ask for that and our parents are also going to expect it because those who had success, they wanna maintain, they wanna keep that going even though we are transitioning back to, to school full-time and in, in person. I think Dwight, that's a million dollar question. What takeaways do we have from COVID-19 that we can implement um, that really will make a difference in the lives of our children? Um, I, if you don't mind, I want to go back to the safety piece because I think it even speaks to what you just said about the online learning and something we have discussed even in my own district is how do we build this level of safety where if they do want to learn from home that it's the choice on learning and not necessarily fear yeah. what are some ways that our teachers our staff really the whole school community can get into this, you know, this world of providing safety. Do you have any specifics? You did mention like physically safe, emotionally safe, mentally safe, even the ability to have self-expression, safety for that. Or do you have any key thoughts around how we build those degree, uh, that degree of safety in our schools? Yeah, um, some and some elementary and middle schools have been doing it for years. You know, they have the morning meeting. That's, that's how they do it every single day to build that community, um, to reestablish expectations every day, to get students moving in the right direction each day, to um, ground students on the culture, the excuse me, the, the, the values that are a part of the school climate and the behaviors that are expected. That also can be done online with students who, are, who choose to do it virtually. 
But I think the number one thing to ensure all students feel safe at school is to make sure, and this is all research based as well, that every student has one trusted adult in the school building that they can go to, period. Who's that, who's that, who's that person? Like my, my daughter, for example, she's going into the third grade. She's transitioning to a new school because of redistricting in our community. But she had one person that she went to at her previous school that made all the difference in the world. She's concerned going into a new school, who's that one person going to be? When that happens, everything else will take care of itself. Everything else will take care of itself. So just imagine if every school, every student in our nation's schools had one person that they can go to at school. Imagine the difference that can make in terms of their, their uh, again, their emotional safety, their attendance, that would be a huge factor. Um, their ability to adjust and um, respond to a, a disruption or their ability to um, get back on track when they feel like they're not on track. And then their academics will improve overall. That will make a huge difference. And I think that we can do that. that that's a very, um, it's simple, but it's not easy. And here's why I say that. It's simple because it's not, it, it's not rocket science. It doesn't take a huge amount of technological advanced uh, uh, knowledge. It doesn't take um, going back to school in multiple degrees. It just takes an open and willing heart to say, I care about this student. I'm checking in with the student every single day or as needed. And my door is always open to the student. It could be a custodian, secretary, assistant principal, principal, uh, uh, school security officer. It could be anyone who's a part of that school community. It could be the superintendent or assistant superintendent. As long as you're a part of the school district and every and, and one kid has, a, has that one person they go to, I'm telling you, it makes all the difference in the world. I've, I've seen it. I've experienced it. And it's, it's a need right now. And it's research-based. Dwight, because that's such a powerful element of schooling and the experience for our students, do you have any practical application advice for our listeners? Our listeners are, are almost always practitioners, current people in schools. And we've done the dot exercise where we take every single kid and we put them out on, on, on big poster paper and we have color-coded dots in terms of how the kids are connected or not with school and identity. But do you, besides something like that, like is there another way that you would inventory this so that kids don't fall through the cracks? Yeah, I, that's funny. You brought up the dot exercise. That's the one thing I was going because that's a that's well-known practice. The key though is to continue to follow up on that. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's another practice that you can implement. I would say just follow up. And here's why I say that. Um, as time passes, we sometimes forget about that exercise because we get busy with the day. We get busy with planning and um, just doing school. We get busy and we forget about that, that one exercise. So it has to move from an exercise to an integral part of our, the way we establish culture. So there has to be some level of accountability. So I would say on top of the dot practice, have some have a team set up where there's a system of, account, of accountability where that be, that can become a part of your building leadership team conversations or your PLC conversations. Ultimately, PLC, PLCs are supposed are supposed to talk about students' performance data and how to how to improve students, how to build relationships, how to get to know students. So add that element to it so that the dot exercise isn't just a, a, a feel good 
or um, uh, an exposing exercise during a staff meeting, but the follow-up has to be a part of it so that, to your point, no student falls through the cracks. Because ultimately, you're going to have students move in, you're going to have students move out. When that student moves in, who's going to be their adult? Who's going to take them under their wing? Who's going to, um, besides having a student ambassador, who's going to bring take that student and ensure that they um, are becoming they become an integral part of the school community? And so, and then continue that year after year to the point where it's abnormal if it's not done, as opposed to it's it's abnormal that it is done. Very powerful, Dwight. I, I, I love how you also indicate, you know, this is about the heart. Yeah. You know, this, this isn't about another degree. It's not even about another strategy. We got it. You just got to do it and you got to do it well and you got to do it consistent. So thank you for that. Well, you've mentioned a couple of times now that, you know, this is also in the research. Who is one person or group that you follow for either knowledge or inspiration and where could we find them? Um, you know, and TJ, you had um, read in, in the introduction that I was inducted into the Johnson's Renaissance Educator Hall of Fame back in 2010. So let me explain what Johnson's Renaissance is. It's a when people hear Johnson's, they think about the rings and diplomas and caps and gowns. That's a part of it. The other part is Johnson's Renaissance Education, and what that is is a is I would say it's a framework more though in a system rather than a program that focuses on positive relationships, recognizing, rewarding, reinforcing the results that you want. And how that works is um, there, there are a group of educators that come together and they think of ways and come up with ideas on how to connect deeply with students, how to create a culture, a school culture that is celebratory, that's focusing on positive behavior. So think about PBIS and then reinforcing those core values and beliefs by reinforcing them, recognizing them, rewarding them, doesn't have to be anything tangible, and then um, integrating those in everything that you do. So that's one organization that I've been a part of since, um, maybe since I've been in education. When I was a, a, a teacher at Gehanna Lincoln High School, uh, Dr. Keith Bell was an assistant principal at the time, and he was the advisor of the Renaissance program. That's when I first learned about it. And it was, I mean, it was amazing. And it came about because Gehanna experienced a major disruption where a student um, did something pretty violent that caused a huge rift in the, in the school community. So he integrated Justin's to establish ways for students to have a voice, to talk about the concerns, and then develop plans and procedures to move forward to build the community and connection. And they shifted from punitive action to positive behavior celebrations. And they focused on academics, attendance, and, and discipline. And that was back in the mid to late 90s. And then when I became an assistant principal, um, Renaissance program has sort of shifted. It just became um, mundane. So one of my charges as an assistant principal was to revitalize Renaissance and I was under the leadership of Mark White. So he gave me free reign to focus on rebuilding Renaissance to, in order to reestablish our culture. And so guys like Steve Wolf, um, he's out at, uh, I think he's in Kansas or he was in Kansas. I don't know where he is now. He's a superintendent. Uh, Stan Tall, Steve Bowler, I met him through there. 
Um, Dr. Phil Campbell, he oversees, oversees Johnson's Renaissance. He goes by PC. His wife, Dr. Tara Campbell. Uh, Mike Wolf, who oversees Renaissance as well. Uh, Richard Parkhouse. Um, there's just a number. Melissa Wright from Canada. Um, Darren Pepper. I mean, there's just a number of educator leaders who are part of this community that really focus on positive behavior and celebrating the things that we want to see in schools. It doesn't mean you ignore the negative things you just handle in terms of coaching and feedback, not always punitive and putting kids out of school. Dwight, I can tell you that every assistant principal listening to this right now is Googling Jocelyn Renaissance and trying to figure out how to get that into their schools. Can you tell us how? So clear on the why. Yeah. What, what if if I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, well, where do I put that? Is it an academic? Yeah. Is it an advisory? Yeah. Is it a student code? Like how, how does it fit? What do you where do you plug that into a school? Well, that's a great question. And that's one of the major challenges. If you've never heard of it, you've all you think about is is, you know, rallies. So think about it this way. Most schools have a rally to celebrate athletics state champions or going to national or going to the, the conference championship district champs. Um, they celebrate, you know, the guys and, and the girls wearing the varsity letter jackets or the top-notch academics. But what about everyone else? So where that starts is you get a core group of students, you get a core group of educators, and you talk about what do we value in our school. And then you just slowly start implementing ways to recognize it, like define it. You got to clearly define it first. So what's the target? What are we trying to do? Clearly define it. And then you, you recognize what you've defined and then you reward what you, what you see happening. So it could start with a core, and this is key, get the students involved because students will tell you ways they like to be celebrated. And the key is also, there's, there's always at least a handful of educators who want to do the same thing. They just don't have a framework to do it get them involved and have them lead. So it could sit in a building leadership team. It could sit in a department. It could sit on through student council. It could also sit within um, your PBIS system, which most states mandated happening. So instead of being following a prescribed way of doing it, make it fit your school's DNA, because that's important. Every school has its own DNA. So there's no one, two, three, four step that I can give to say it'll work for your school or your, your school. It's just, what, how does it fit within the DNA of your school? But it has to start with a small core group. Then you gather data, you celebrate that data, you constantly share with the staff the progress that you're making. And then the next year you recruit more students and you recruit, recruit more students to be involved. And then you reach out to partners to say, hey, here's the things, here are the things that we're trying to do. Or here are the things that we've accomplished and then you celebrate, recognize those partners publicly. Most business partners would love to see their names and get wrapped up to the school in terms of a positive thing, because that draws more foot traffic, i.e. more customers, i.e. More, more revenue. So they would love to be a part of that, but you have to celebrate them as well. So it's a very way, very clear way of like getting people involved in the right areas who believe in this work and then celebrate their success. And then as the principal or even the administrator period, assistant principal, principal, your number one job was to, is to remove the barriers so that these things can be successful because ultimately it's all about doing what's best for kids. 
Now I'll say this as well. Um, when it comes to um, implementing something like this, if it's, if it's forced, then it's the administrator's idea and it, it won't fly. Because as soon as that administrator leaves, everything else with that program dies off. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. I mean, it has to be a movement, not a program. Yeah. Right. So yeah. the that's a great word, movement. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking while you were talking. It's just it has to be a movement, not a program. Start small, build a thing. The people have to believe. Um, but I, I think at the center of it, at the heart of it, what we would encourage any school leader who's listening, whether you're in charge of a classroom or a department or an entire school, is we need to have core values and we need to live out those core values and they have to be defined. Because um, without that, we really aren't able to uh, hold ourselves and others accountable. So where I am now, we have four core values um, and we've spent uh, quite a bit of time defining what those mean and then and through defining them we're describing that behavior and now we're we've been sharing that with students who share that with staff and so now we have a common language throughout the school community then you can focus on celebrating it when you see it and then correcting it when it's opposite when the behavior is opposite and so it's it's um it takes time but once you get people involved and they have a voice in how it's defined for the school community then the movement starts that's awesome. I know people are going to take note of that. Dwight, what's one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? That could be school-based or personal. Yeah, um, because we're, we're living in a world of hyperchange, uh, there's always stuff to do, and we feel like it never gets done. So I would say the one thing, and this is from personal experience, is reduce the number of things on your to-do list per day go from 10 to 12 to two. If you can accomplish those, the two most important things for that day, you've won that day. And then you can end the day feeling some type of momentum and progress and success, and then do the same thing the next day. Um, just like I said, just from experience, when I was a um, head principal um, at Kahana Lincoln High School, I would go in every day and have this long to-do list and I will feel depleted at the end of the day because I've maybe knocked off one thing and I'm looking at my list and it's like <laughs> what have I actually done today and then that went on for a couple years and I, then I finally decided and I got this from the, our basketball coach Tony Stive he says you need to reduce the things on your list and I thought I would like how would I go why would I do that and so he explained it and so I knocked off five or six of those things and then I started to really feel that I was making progress because, and it left room for other, it left room for people and it left room for what could be called a disruption. If my list was guiding the day, then I, I was, I found myself being very short with people and very impatient when something wasn't on the schedule. So it left a lot of room to be present. I continued that when I went to New Albany High School and it just became a part and I, I implemented and implemented that in my personal life as well, which has made a huge difference. So that's that's the one thing I would highly recommend. Dwight, what happened to the other five things? So like you say, you know, I reduced it. You know, I know that's an immediate question people have. They're like, yeah, that's great. But what happens to that other stuff? Right. So it depends on what it what, what it is and what it was. So if it's something that could be delegated, 
I delegated it. If it's something that can be moved to the next day, then that's where it went. It wasn't like the things didn't get done. It just, it caused me to reprioritize the things on the list. Yeah, I think that's a huge point and a major takeaway. It's yeah. the prioritization. Yes. And, you know, I, I tell, you know, others, especially in leadership roles, but like a principle, there's only one principle. So you have to do the things only you can do. Right. And that's where I think a point of prioritization takes key. The laundry list of things, even if you did accomplish them, might've been able to be done by someone else. And, and stuff, yeah. And with that, you're, you're now, you're modeling. If you, if you feel like you have to do all the things that could be done by somebody else, what you're communicating to your team is I don't trust you. Powerful. Thank yeah. you, Dwight. Very powerful. What's one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? And again, as, as TJ mentioned, this could be personal or professional. All right. So I'm going to make it personal. All right, I'm 49 years old, okay? And there's one thing that I don't know how to do that I need and want to learn how to do. And don't judge me, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> is I want to learn how to swim. I've never taken swim lessons. Uh, we, we would go to the pool all the, time, all the time when we were kids and we would frolic around in the water and like, it just wasn't a thing. I don't know why I never learned how to swim, but now that I have a daughter and she's, taking swim lessons and, and, you know, wants to become a, a, you know, expert swimmer. It's like, that's something I need to do as well. So that's on my, that's on my personal to-do list is to learn how to swim. <laughs> Don't judge me, gentlemen. No judgment. <laughs> this is a no judgment zone. And I uh, taught swim lessons for many, many years. Um, so I can teach you how to swim, Dwight. We just need to connect, get together and we'll get you swimming. Although my father can't swim and he's never let me teach him and he's a boater. So I'm always worried he's going to fall over the boat and yeah. can't get back in. Keep pushing it, man. Keep pushing it. We'll have to get together and make that happen. Um, but that's not the first time we've heard that um, either, Joe. I forget who it was because I joked with uh, with somebody at one point, too, that I was going to teach them how to swim. I, I forget who, who the guest was, but people always want to swim fly the stuff that uh that that humans don't next necessarily do naturally yeah i think not knowing how to swim is limiting the experiences that we can have as a family and so that's i, I want to make sure um something is um that's as easy not, i don't know how easy or hard it is but something that's in in my can control in my can control in my can control excuse me why am i not why am i having trouble with that in my control I should should just do it in that way. Like I said, open up more experiences that we can have as a family. Yeah, no, that's cool. I'm I'm glad you shared that last part too, because I, I think that's important in terms of, of leadership and leadership lessons. Yeah. Um, things that limit us are uh, that are within our control, regardless of what it is, um, yeah. we should Guy, try to eliminate. Guy Hendricks, he talks about that. Are you familiar with Guy Hendricks? Yeah. He read the big leap. He talks about limiting beliefs. Yep. Um, that's something that as, as leaders, we have to be very careful of our limiting beliefs and, and how that impacts everybody who, who we're serving. Um, so it goes back to going back to the earlier question about um, climate and culture, or even just understanding and, and building relationships with kids. If you have a limited belief about students with IEPs, 
in your mind, they'll never be successful. So you got to check that bias, check, check that limited belief, or you may believe that I'm not equipped to help these students. Then that's exactly what's going to happen. That could be a limiting belief, not just for you, but also for those kids. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's a great book. We'll link to that book in the, um, in the show notes, something that we've recommended before, but it's such a powerful, uh, the upper limit challenge, um, is, is something that everybody needs to know about because we, we all suffer from that from time, um, time and time again. Absolutely. So you, you know, you're referencing people, you're referencing books, you you're talking about, you know, overcoming your own leadership challenges. What's the one thing that has led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others might be able to replicate? Uh, well, I'm doing a lot of uh, self-awareness practice. And so that that is <clears throat> helping or driving me to want to constantly learn about uh why I respond the way I do, my triggers, and how that impacts other people, um, either personally and professionally. So I would say the one thing that I'm doing that I recommend everyone else to do is really examine your strengths, like identify your strengths, examine your strengths, and see how your strengths or shortcomings impact people that you serve. And so one way you can do that is, um, uh, my leadership coach and great friend, Jack Slavinsky, inter- introduced me to the values and actions uh, assessment or survey. It's called the BIA assessment and uh, VIA survey. Um, they're, it's an organization housed in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, through, it's through research. They've identified that every single person has 24 characteristics that are part of our character. And you know, when we talk about, you know, what are the characteristics of leadership, there can be 200. And, but ultimately it boils down to every person possesses 24 of these characteristics. And so by doing that, I've taken that survey several times and my top five, they may shift in order, but they don't shift in terms of what they are. My bottom five, they may shift in order, but they don't shift in where they are. And it doesn't mean, um, I don't possess, like one of them is zest. <laughs> so zest is one that is more of the lower third of the 24. And it doesn't mean I don't have it. It just means I have to exert more energy to show zest as a characteristic. And knowing that that's going to take more energy, that's going to take me more time to recover. But on the flip side, passion for learning is one of my character, one of my character strengths, that 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 goes without much effort. It's just it comes naturally. I don't have to. I'm not exerting a lot of energy. In fact, that energizes me when I'm learning new things. Another one is perspective. That's one that I I, I like to provide perspective to to a team, and that comes naturally. And I I'm energized by that as opposed to my energy being zapped by that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. If if you don't mind, Dwight, did you say, and we can get into this a little bit, did you say you have a performance coach? Is that Jack? Yeah. Um, and then, so can you talk a little bit about that? Because immediately my mind went to the self-awareness, but there you get to a point also where you, you need someone to help you sometimes 
work with you to see those, um, you know, the strengths and weaknesses. Can you talk a little bit about the performance coach or how you even got into that space? Yeah. Because I think in education, it's not as common. Right. And, you know, we rely on higher ed for our growth. And that's a very natural phenomenon. But I've come to the conclusion too, and, and may, maybe you have as well, hearing now that you have a coach, that when you become a leader, there is a, a level in which, you know, you can't learn it in a book anymore. Right. You need sometimes that mirror, that thought partner to really push you along. Can you just speak to that some? Yeah. So I was introduced uh, to Jack through um, the uh, New Albany High School athletic director, Richard, uh, Rich Wildinghouse. So um, how this worked, how did it work? So Rich, Richie was new. Uh, we hired Richie, uh, um, was it 2017? He was new to the district, new to this. He came back home from um, out West. And so one of the things he wanted to do was to um, hire a coach to work with the athletic coaches in our building. And we have very successful programs, but, and he wanted to see what can we do better and how can we better um, strengthen the relationships between our, our athletic coaches and our, our student athletes. And it wasn't a bad thing, but he saw, again, he, he didn't have an upper limit belief. He thought he can always get better. So um, he connected with Jack. Um, we started, I mean, the work he was doing with our athletic coaches was phenomenal. And he was diving deep and it was all, and it was all interpersonal work, internal work. It wasn't strategy that, you know, do these things and these things will happen. It's like, no, reflect on your beliefs, reflect on your behavior, reflect on your strengths, then your behavior will change. And, and, and think about the why you're doing things in the outcomes that you want to want to achieve. So I met Jack and we hit it off immediately. I mean, we just, it's just something that we just clicked. So he and I started to meet, you know, probably on a monthly basis. And then we started talking on a weekly basis. And then through that evolution, he just, he started coaching me through, you know, phone calls and meetings and one-on-ones. Um, and I was really listening and I hired, then I hired him to coach our, um, department leaders in our building leadership team because we were just having some long-standing internal conflict but couldn't figure out what was happening and when we were able to identify our strengths then we started to see the a lot the light bulbs come on it's like oh that's why we're, we're that's why we keep dragging this anchor around because our leadership style was conflicting and we we believe a person should be doing one thing when in fact their strength is another and, and so, I mean, I really started to grow and started to get a lot of positive feedback from our department chairs on the, that growth. And like I said, Jack and I just stayed in contact for what's been five, five years now. And now we do some team coaching and um, training on, on understanding equity and equality and, and personal skill development. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, thank you for sharing all of that, Dwight. Uh, again, I, I think it's a, a, a great space for educators to move into to learn and grow versus just, you know, more knowledge, more information. You know, we know people love to learn. That's why they're in this profession. But what you just said about the self-identification, the self-reflection, you know, that can lead, you know, to immense and immeasurable growth, um, you know, 
all the way back to, you know, just know thyself. So thank you for sharing that. Dwight, this also goes hand in hand with reflection and self-awareness. What's one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore? I used to think as a leader, you had to have all the answers. And uh, that caused some major issues internally and externally. Um, and, I, and I was early on in my leadership. And now I learned it's okay when you don't have the answers, just get back to people as soon as you can. Or, and I also flipped it and started asking, you know, what do you think? <laughs> and that really, that empowers, that builds capacity and that strengthens uh, leadership in other people as well. That is such a great place to close out the interview. Uh, as leaders, you do not need to have all the answers. Celebrate others, pick those core values, um, hold ourselves accountable, and let's reduce those to-do lists as best we can on a daily basis. Dwight, is there anything else that you would like to add to today to our listeners, a request from, from people who listen to our One Thing series? Um, we'd love to hear any final thoughts. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, my, my one final thought is just make sure you, you win the day. Uh, find something where you can win the day and leave, leave each day feeling victorious and successful in something that you've accomplished. It could be a connection with a staff member, connection with a student, something that you learned, or a, a new a skill that you've acquired. Um, either way, end the day by win or focus on winning the day and completing that one thing on your on your list that you want to accomplish. Well, there you have it. Win the day. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at the schoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. We hope you enjoyed this one thing series on how educators will re-engage students in this upcoming school year and so much more. Thank you, Dwight, for being on the show. My pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days? What's that, TJ? Sleep. A good night's rest. Self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about, you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell, how do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend Ghost Bed, our sponsor with 30,000 plus five-star reviews. Their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed. That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a hundred and one night at home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic uh, support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code 
SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout. Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out ghost bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest. Wow. That's 30% off with SH302 code at ghostbed.com a hundred bucks for your referral. If you get somebody else a good night's sleep, better sleep for you, better leadership, ghostbed.com. You can't beat it. Ghostbed.com. Ghostbed.com.